When Ellen died, I lost everything. Until that dog arrived on my doorstep. A final gift for my wife. In that moment, I received some semblance of hope. And your son took that from me. Stole that from me. Killed that from me! People keep asking if I'm back. And I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Operation. We don't need bigger knives. Welcome to Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. To him, this isn't vengeance. This is justice. Hosted by Justin. You wanted me back. I'm back. Jacob. Are you here on business, sir? Afraid so, Francis. And Arnie. You look good. And here I'd feared you'd left all this behind. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. So I guess you have a choice. Do you want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Listener discretion is advised. Let's go. Today we're discussing John Wick, starring Keanu Reeves, Michael Nyquist, Alfie Allen, Adrian Pilecki, and Willem Dafoe, directed by David Leach and Chad Stahelski. At least you're giving both credit. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> this is Arnie, the now playing co-host tasked to dole out the beatings, not receive them. This is Jacob, and do I look civilized to you? This is Justin, and I once saw him kill a guy in a bar with a pencil. With a fucking pencil! <laughs> Who uses pencils anymore? This was obviously a story from the 90s. I thought it was a reference to the Joker. That's the best pencil kill on screen. Oh, that's oh, true. Yeah. That's true. Well, welcome everyone to John Wick, a series we weren't really planning to do, but they moved a lot of movies around. Texas Chainsaw was supposed to be coming out around this time, and we had a couple weeks free, and I'd heard good things about this movie. Have either of you seen this before this review? You know, I'm like you, Arnie. I've heard good things about this. I did not see it, and I've noticed this trend. I'll tell you why I didn't see it. There's this trend. The Bourne movies became Jason Bourne, and the Tom Clancy adaptations became Jack Ryan, and we had Alex Cross, and now we have John Wick. Like, it's just these lazy, like, titles that are just the protagonist's name. I'm like, oh, this is based on some book that I probably wouldn't like, so I don't even want to see that. <laughs> I just assume, because all that other stuff is based on books, that this was just some book that I wouldn't even be into. Jack Reacher, there's another one with Tom Cruise. This came out about the same time as Jack Reacher, and both I hear good things about, and but I did get them confused for a while. <laughs> yeah, it was just that, oh, this, you know, Alex Cross was based on a book. All these things are just based on books. And, you know, it's like those airport novels that you just buy to read while you're you're doing a trip across the country real quick. And so I'm like, ah, I don't have any interest. But then I heard a bunch of good things about it. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. I never seen this. And maybe I'm showing my hand a little too early here. But one of my biggest problems with this movie is how dumb the name is. Thank you. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything other than they named the character that. You could call this, we'll get into it. You could call this movie The Boogeyman and His Dog. Like, way cooler title. Like, there are so many better titles you could come up with for this film. Well, you could actually thank this title on Keanu. 
the movie Keanu because that's another movie named after a person, and that one was pretty good. And Keanu Reeves does make a cameo, kind of, in that one. I meant Keanu Reeves. This movie was titled Scorn. Okay, not much better, but better than just the damn name. Yeah. It was a spec script written by Derek Colstead, who done some shorts and something called The Package, which I didn't see. It was a Dolph Lundgren, Steve Austin film. Oh my God, I did see that. It was terrible. You did. You got a review copy of that. I remember you did a review of it on the Gazette. Oh my God, I did see that. It was awful. (laughs) But anyway, he wrote this spec script about an old retired hitman coming out he imagined Paul Newman playing it. Okay, I, I'll i get into it, but I did feel like this was supposed to be an older character. But what happened was it was picked up by a production company, and I saw this name in the credits. I had to check. Yes, indeed, this is produced by Eva Longoria of Desperate Housewives. Yeah, what? <laughs> yes, I saw that in the credits and had to rewind it to make sure <laughs> I saw that name. Yeah, right at the top of the end credits, like, What? I looked it up to make sure there wasn't another Eva Longoria, but I guess she took her Desperate Housewives money and is now a film producer and investor. Hey, it paid off. I mean, this movie made money. Oh, yeah. $80 million on a $20 million budget. But Thunder Road Pictures was the production house, and they contacted Keanu Reeves. And you got to think he gets a lot of scripts, right? I mean, The Matrix. I keep thinking he's retired, to be perfectly honest. He shows up and stuff. But I'm like, oh, he's still working. Yeah. Is he still starring, though? Like, if you saw the Neon Demon last year, like, he has a cameo in there. I thought he was going to have a bigger role because it's Keanu. But no, it's it's pretty much just a cameo. And I don't see his name popping up a whole lot. Maybe I'm just not into Keanu Reeves films these days. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I just maybe he's a guy from our generation and we recognize the name. But, you know, is he still a bankable name as a lead? Well, I mean, I remember him in The Day the Earth Stood Still a long time ago. That was like 10 years ago, yeah. And then he did 47 Ronin, which... Awful. 47 Ronin is the mythology legend of Japan. And what that film, it's such a bad film. I'm surprised the Japanese did not strike us. (laughs) <laughs> that film it is so bad I, I i think i did a review and it was 47 yawns <laughs> that movie came out one year before john wick so he is still working but wow it's just not stuff i see you know ever since the matrix i think a scanner darkly constantine is the most recent movie we have reviewed of his until now but he's the one who's like I think this movie should be titled John Wick. The character is named John Wick. He wasn't a movie called Bill and Ted, so I guess he was just going with that logic. (laughs) And so he'd go out and do press, and even though the studio said the movie was scorn, he's like, I'm making this new movie. It's called John Wick. And so the studio (laughs) finally is like, all right, I guess we're doing John Wick instead. Oh, so he snakes down a plane did. Yeah, so if you complain about the title, look completely at its star. (laughs) But... What's really strange is it's because of Keanu Reeves that we have our dual directing pair, Dave Leach and 
Chad Stahelski. Yeah, who? I had to look these guys up. Stunt coordinators. Oh, but good stunt coordinators. I looked these guys up too. And I saw Expendables and and that turned me off right there because that should have good stunts. And it's just a bunch of old dudes barely able to do stunts. All right. Well, Dave Leach is the more experienced one, okay? And he has been doing stunts for a long time. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double in Fight Club, Ocean's Eleven, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He was stunt coordinator on Speed Racer. Okay. A lot of CGI. I'm not sure how many stunts were needed, but okay. I like that movie. He did stunts on the first Matrix. He became a stunt coordinator later on and worked with the Wachowskis there. Now, he was a kickboxer when he was younger, as was his friend Chad Stahelski, who he brought out. Stahelski was actually Keanu's body double in the first Matrix. And then he was the stunt coordinator for Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. And I'm trying not to hold this against him, but he was stunt coordinator and additional photography on Red 2 and The Wolverine. So that's a plus. I liked Red 2. I thought it was better than the original. I think I did too, didn't I? I did. Yeah, I think you did recommend that one. (laughs) I recommended that one, but not the first. Yes. But Leach has gone on to be a second unit director on Midnight Meat Train, The Wolverine, Mutant Ninja Turtles 15, Jurassic World, and Civil War. He has done second unit action filming on all of that. That's a pretty good resume right there. Yeah, it depends what the second unit's doing, though. It it could be some real mediocre stuff that they got to go out and just pick up shots and that. Well, what they did was not standard second unit. Together, right after the first Matrix, the two formed a stunt company that apparently... All right, I'm going off the bonus features that came with the disc, so it might be a little self-aggrandizing, <laughs> but... It is the stunt company because what they do is basically come in and they direct and film all the action scenes. They do previses. They were the first stunt company to do complete previses of the stunts and work with the filmmakers to do this. So when they say they're doing the second unit, if you're thinking about the action scenes, the fights, that means that Leach was likely the man behind the camera, whereas the Russos were working on more dramatic stuff. All right, well, if that hype is true, then okay. They get some credit for that. And David Leach is going to be directing Deadpool 2, so we will be talking about him again. Yeah, that bit of information piqued my interest a little bit more in this movie going in. I was like, okay, well, all right, if all things stay on track for Deadpool 2, then hopefully what I see here in John Wick is going to make me hopeful. Yeah, I did see that too. Like, look, I think of Neville Dean and Taylor as stunt makers that, well, they ended up doing a couple good movies. Yeah, and then Ghost Rider. Yeah, and and then, yeah, <laughs> Gamer and, uh. but I'm not totally turned off by it, but it is suspect when you have kickboxers turned stunt coordinators becoming directors. The way I guessed this happened, though, I was looking at this. I'm like, this is an action movie. There's a ton of stunts. I figured these two stuntmen were like, we want to direct. Let's see who our friends are from all these movies we've worked on and who can we pull together and get a budget and do a film. But in fact, what happened was Keanu got at the script and he wanted these guys to at least do the stunts and maybe direct. And so he roped them in. Interesting. So again, Keanu's really the driving creative force behind John Wick. This is a Keanu passion project, apparently. 
It is. He actually took months off from anything else. I don't know if he had anything else, but okay. <laughs> well, off of his daily life of doing whatever. I, I, I like to think he's out there surfing like in Point Break, but... Yeah, but this is a job. Like, yes, I take time off every day for my job. But months before this thing started shooting, he just went into hardcore training. He did, the number they threw about was 90% of his own stunts, including the driving. We'll talk about the stunts in here. That that actually doesn't surprise me, having seen the film. And if you're watching this, the reason you only see Leech's name at the beginning is because the Director's Guild of America is stupid. <laughs> and if you want to get your guild card, you cannot share directing credit. So Neville Dean Taylor, they were breaking the rules. It is just not allowed What about the Rusu to- brothers? Are they not part of the guild? Or the Cohen brothers. I gotta imagine there's some leeway there. I think a little bit of gravitas gets you a little bit of leeway there. And the Wachowskis. I mean, it's not yeah. unheard of, but they did bring a lot of style. I mean, they just because Keanu said, I wanted these guys, they had to go to Thunder Road and pitch their idea. And they kind of pulled on a Matrix origin. They love anime and graphic novels and martial arts films. And so they came in and said they really want this to be like a gun-fu Hong Kong graphic novel. I hadn't seen this film. I read like a one-line synopsis, which was basically John Wick goes for revenge after some gangster steal his car and kill his dog. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a satirical action film, like <laughs> something super violent, but also funny. Like if you've seen Shoot 'Em Up, super violent or Drive Angry, super violent, but also like campy and funny. And so that's what I thought I was getting going into this because of that description. Like it's going to be gritty and bloody, but there's going to be jokes. Yeah, not too many jokes. Oh, I think there are. There's some. We'll talk about it. Yeah, there's some jokes in here. I wouldn't call this satire, though, I think is what Jacob's going to Oh, no, no, not. That's satire. <laughs> but if you look at the plot, I mean, you go graphic novels. I mean, this is some road to perdition type stuff, only not quite that heavy. Yeah, no, I could see this being a graphic novel, definitely. With, with Again, it's a premise that I like. Someone going crazy violent over... Look, people love their dogs, I get it, but that does seem like a joke. Someone kills his dog, and this guy's going to go and murder everyone. Well, guess what? This is pseudo-based, very loosely based on a true story. What? <laughs> Dude, is it really like secret hitman hotels where they take gold coins? How about a Navy SEAL? Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell, if you've seen that movie Lone Survivor starring Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg was playing Marcus Luttrell. Okay. Well, when he was done in Afghanistan, he was given a yellow lab puppy who he named Daisy, D-A-S-Y, after the members of his team, right? Well... He woke up one morning by a gunshot and saw some men literally laughing over the corpse of his dog, and they drove away. And so this Navy SEAL grabbed his two 9mm Berettas and chased them through four counties Jeez. in his truck. Did he get them? <laughs> or just scare them? He did get them. The police apprehended them. He did not kill them because he said he's done enough killing. Okay. But he did grab some guns and chase them through four counties because of his dog. And so that incident is cited as the inspiration for this script. Wow. And you fuck with my dogs and I have a Beretta. I'm coming after you too. Yeah, no, the... 
that, that's a big deal. I mean, if you've seen Seven Psychopaths, it was one of my picks for the book. That's the whole premise is like you can't kill the dog. Like that is the worst thing you could do in a movie. Or if you saw The Lobster, like there is a dog death scene in there. And I know people who like hate that film because of that death scene of a dog in it. It's off screen, too. It's funny. You, you're you right. You cannot kill dogs in movies. And we'll, we'll talk about it once we get past the synopsis here. But Keanu is dealing with the death of his wife and now the death of his dog, who, you know, was a, a gift from his now dead wife. And I feel like the heartstrings were tugged way more with that dog <laughs> than with, with the spouse. You know, you talk about satire. It reminds me of one of those jokes from Tropic Thunder with... Tug Speedman, you know, they killed his wife. Now they've killed his dog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they stole his car. Tug Speedman is back as John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> so we know a dog's gonna die, but what else happens here, Arnie? Give us a plot. Keanu Reeves plays John Wick, an assassin for the Russian mob who retired when he settled down with his wife. But when the movie opens, we see his wife dying of a slow, unnamed disease. But one of her final acts was to make sure John wasn't alone by having a puppy delivered to his house. I gotta stop you right there for one second, though. Is that a thing? Like, can you set that up as you're dying? Like, is there a, (laughs) hey, on the day of my funeral, deliver a puppy with this handwritten note to my husband, please, and thank you. It's some Back to the Future 2 shit. (laughs) I think it's like if you have the gold coins, because this is a housebroken puppy. This is the, like, if you're going to have a puppy delivered to a mourning person, this is the one. Right. (laughs) But this tranquil mourning period is cut short when a group of Russian thugs, led by Alfie Allen's character Yusef Tarasov, break into John's house to steal his car. They beat up John, and yes, they kill the puppy. Now John is out for revenge, and it doesn't matter that Yusef is the son of Vigo Tarasov, John's old boss. Vigo sends scores of men after John, but he kills them all. Even though a $2 million bounty on John's head brings out assassins like Adrian Pilecki's character, Mrs. Perkins, John continues to win his battles. It even seems John's friend Marcus, played by Willem Dafoe, agrees to kill his friend for the money. To draw out Yusuf, John breaks into Vigo's secret bank and burns the mob boss's money. Putting a gun to Vigo's head, they make a deal. Vigo will cancel the contract on John's life and give up Yusuf if John lets Vigo live. So John kills Yusuf, but Vigo isn't done. He kills Marcus. See, Marcus pretended to take the job to kill John, but was actually helping his old friend, and Vigo felt betrayed. But an assassination plot on John again fails, and John chases Vigo down. The two eventually get into hand-to-hand combat that John easily wins, killing the mob boss. Wounded, John goes into a vet's office to staple his cuts, and there he sees a pit bull that's scheduled to be put down. He rescues his new companion as credits roll. One of my shorter plot summaries, and yet I still feel I could have gone even shorter for this movie. <laughs> you could have. They're like, look, there's a lot of shooting in this movie. That's all you got to really say. And it opens up with John Wick shot. Talking about shooting, he crashes a car and gets out. He's bleeding. And the first thing he does is goes to his iPhone to watch some video of him. And what I was guessing at the time was his wife. It could have been his girlfriend. But yeah, ends up being his wife. And then we go into flashback mode. I wish I'd seen this movie when it came out. Because looking at this scene, we see Keanu Reeves bleeding, watching this overly sentimental selfie video he did with his wife. And then he just falls over. And if I didn't know that this Thursday, John Wick 2 was coming out, 
I would fully believe this could be a self-contained revenge film that ends with him dying. No way. I, I, I wouldn't have gone for that. I mean, the, the fact that this is the grabber and then they go into flashback mode, like, th- that is such a cliche, I feel. I Really, with modern comic books, they do that a lot. Like, they show you something that's going to happen, like, halfway through the story and then they jump back and, like, yeah, that's what they do here. I, I had no belief that this was the end of John Wick. I had that thought, but I guess my thought was more meta-knowledge of knowing, like you said, Arnie, that there's a part two coming out. Seeing this fresh when it came out, we could have had that idea of, oh, maybe this is the end and we get to see how it leads up to this. But yeah, right. Having the sequel floating out in a week from now is kind of kills that in the cradle. Yeah. And it's not unprecedented to have these revenge films where in the end somebody dies. I already brought up Road to Perdition. Spoiler alert for that movie. But (laughs) I could have seen that be the case. And truthfully, this movie becomes so fast paced and action oriented I forgot about this prologue until we revisited in the end scenes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he was dragging along his dying body. (laughs) (laughs) And see, I was just trying to figure how far they were flashing back. Like, we see him wake up at 6 a.m. I'm like, oh, is this that morning when we're going to see the events of the day? But then he flashes back again to his, like, dying wife, who I guess she has cancer because she was bald when she died. Like, they don't even bother telling us. I'm just going to throw out a prediction. She's poisoned by the Russians. (laughs) I, that's the question I had, I had too. I, did we know that she died of a disease or was she assassinated? Yeah, I mean, we see them walking and she just falls over. I, I don't know. I read it as this is just shorthand that he left the mob. He left being a hitman for this woman and, and then something went wrong. And that's what's going to lead us to why he comes back. Right, but there's been a few lines throughout the movie. A couple different characters say, hey, you thought you could get out, but you were wrong kind of alluding at not only does this life keep a hold of you, but we'll make sure you come back in. Almost hinting at somebody did something. I feel like everyone's afraid of this guy. Like, they they say so much to build him up. I mean, they call him the boogeyman. He's actually the boogeyman that you hired to get the boogeyman. They'll explain at one point. Yeah, you come back because you're a hitman. You've done awful things. I don't think anyone was trying to recruit him back in. I don't know. I'm just saying wait for John Wick 3. That's always the everything you (laughs) thought you knew was wrong movie. I'm going by scream rules. (laughs) Yeah, they're struggling for ideas by then. and His wife won't have actually died. She's actually the main Bob boss at that point. (laughs) Well, his wife is played by Bridget Moynihan, who's a very famous actress that I think the only thing I've seen of hers is Coyote Ugly. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing that tells me, like, something is going on with John Wick, because, again, we've seen him get out of a car all bloody, and then we see him happily married, but at the funeral, Willem Dafoe as Marcus shows up, and, you know, he says, just checking up on an old friend. So you could tell there's some kind of history there. Are they foes? Is Marcus a CIA guy and checking up on this old soldier? Does he have PTSD? I don't know. I don't know what that means. We'll find out in the film. Yeah, I came into this movie completely empty. I didn't know John was a hitman. You know, I think that's how they wanted you to see this. This movie, they kind of pulled a Cloverfield with it. It was announced on September 10th that it was coming out October 24th of 2014. You had two months of knowledge of this movie, not six months of trailers. So yeah, I didn't know what I was going to see. I didn't even watch trailers except for back in 2014 that I barely remembered. So yeah, is this a CIA thing? 
Is this a criminal thing? Is Willem Dafoe even a real friend? You know, you always wonder that in these movies. And Yeah, no, when you say an old friend, I'm like, oh, these are rivals. That's how I took that, is there's some tension between them. That was my prediction, at least. I think this movie gets a little bit of a, a mulligan here, or at least it, it's kind of lucky to have this premise with an actor like Keanu at the helm, because... I mean, we could sit here and make fun of his stilted acting all night, and I'm sure we'll have a few jabs. But I'm not sure if, <laughs> you know, with scenes with Keanu talking with William Defoe are supposed to be read one way for sure. And we as a viewer are just like, oh, well, it's it's his, you know, sketchy past life. So we, we're, we're not supposed to know as a viewer where he's coming from. I just, with Keanu's delivery... You're never sure where it's coming from. And if he was meant to give you the idea that, no, this guy is a buddy and, hey, we're old friends, but he just didn't deliver it that way. One of the things I'll credit this film for is that it's not going to spoon feed you. It's created this weird hitman world where people run around with gold coins like it's Mario Brothers (laughs) and just have to realize what is going on. Like, oh, when we get to the Continental, oh, that's just full of hitman and and they cater to that. And, you know, you just have to figure these things out. They're not going to go, no, Marcus was blah, 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 blah. No, you just throughout the film, you're going to go, okay, they were buddies. They were friends. They really, when he says old friend, he means it. But I do credit this film for just creating this world and dropping you in it and letting you figure it out. It's it's not really complex to figure out, but it lets you figure it out. Oh, I agree completely, Jacob. You know what movie I kept going back to, and I'm sure it's because Keanu was in both, but Constantine. Remember when we reviewed that and we discussed how great it was that Constantine had all those friends that he went to and he had just contacts from years and years in there? Well, this same thing is happening here, but it's not a shitty movie. So I I really love all the bit players that he just knows so well. And Willem Dafoe is going to be one of the major players. But yeah, all the little details, the gold coins, sure, it's not impossible to follow. But it feels like world building for the sake of story versus, you know, like Jupiter Ascending, which is world building at the expense of story. I still don't know what world that built. (laughs) It's got weird stuff. Like you called out, Justin, a dog shows up. I'm like, oh, oh, is this a mistress that was sending him like a get well dog? But no, it is his (laughs) wife. It is such a weird thing. Like she had this plan. Like did they euthanize the dog every year because like she had to make sure it was a puppy and she didn't know when she was going to (laughs) die? How, how much planning went into this? I don't know. Listeners, if there's a order of pre-trained puppy service, let us know, because that might be better than just picking one up. Like, how do they know when you die so they can deliver it to you? That, that night of the funeral, like, it shows up. I'll say this, though. This dog's a beagle. My father-in-law raises beagles. I have seen, in the years I've been with Marjorie, literally hundreds of beagle puppies this one is a winner beagles howl and they smell (laughs) and they have this bark that is really annoying they're not snoopy but this is the cutest damn puppy if i saw this movie and i didn't know anything about beagles i'd think i want a beagle (laughs) (laughs) No offense to beagle owners, I love dogs, but I've never gotten along with my father-in-law's beagles. 
when you're gonna have the dramatic turning point revolve around an animal yeah it's got to be cute again Keanu the movie Keanu it's actually kind of similar it's about a guy who gets a little cat to come to terms with breaking up with his girlfriend and then that cat gets kidnapped by drug dealers and he goes after him that is the damnedest cutest cat I have ever <laughs> like they got the perfect cat and yeah this Daisy the Beagle I, I'm not a dog expert yeah but it's a good dog to tug at your heartstrings and I can't believe honestly here's my thinking because I just got a puppy this year so the wife dies the dog shows up, and my thinking is, oh, God, I feel so bad for John, because now he's going to have piss all over his house, and there's going to be nonstop <laughs> barking, he's going to have to train it, but this dog is from day one house trained. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty nice. John feels confident enough to take this dog and go on a drive with him in a 69 Mustang. Yeah, and he was taking some corners there. I don't know that he let the dog out when... Wasn't the dog with him when he went to go to the airport to go yes. do cookies? Yes. That dog was not in the car at that point. He was hitting some hard turns. This prologue has some confusing editing. I know he took the dog out to the gas station and the puppy was in the car, but then he goes out doing some kind of test stunt driving and the dog is not in the car at that time. And I see him going to this airstrip and doing driving. I'm like, okay, what is his career? Is he a stunt driver? Is he a getaway driver? What is it in his life that this is what he does? And is this his way of blowing off steam? Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't even like that scene. They should have cut it. It doesn't add anything to the film. I I guess what? He's tense because he's still dealing with the death of his wife. So he's got to do some donuts. Yeah. Like on an airstrip somehow. I didn't love this scene, but you know what? It wasn't that long. And I feel like with how method Keanu was with his action and his gun holds and everything in this movie. I feel like later on in the movie, there is going to be a car chase where he needs to have good driving skills. So they want to establish it early without... You see the car he owns? I assume he knows how to drive. <laughs> he could be a poser. He's, you know, a, he's but... fast and furiousing up that thing. He's, <laughs> he's got the Vin Diesel car. You know what? This guy is such a badass in this movie that if they hadn't shown us this scene and later on he just drives like a badass motherfucker, I'd be like, yep, he doesn't. I mean, it's not like I get to see him practicing target practice or exactly. kung fu before he whips out those skills. The first 30 minutes of this movie are kind of slow. So maybe they also threw that in there just to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. My question is, when he goes to fill that car up at the gas station, some Russians pull up next to him. I I didn't get the sense that he knew who they were. We're going to find out he does, or at least he knew Yosef's dad, Vigo. Yeah, he doesn't know Yosef is what I'm getting okay. out of this. And later on, after everything, he's going to find this out from Aurelio, the chop shop owner played by John Leguizamo. So, no, he doesn't know these Russians. We know he speaks Russian, and that kind of caught me off guard. I yeah. Mean, and we, I guess, learned the Russian word for bitch. <laughs> Yosef really wants that car, and but John Wick's having none of it. So Yosef somehow finds out where Wick lives. I, I'm not sure how he finds out where John Wick lives, but I don't know. Maybe he wrote the plate down. I'm sure he's got connections being in the Russian Mafia. That's the way I took it. I just feel like if you're in the Russian Mafia, you can figure pretty much anything like that out. Yeah, and this is a lot of trouble for a car, though. I mean, I guess Yosef is just a spoiled brat. He's always used to getting his way. Who knows how much he would have paid when he offered John to just name his price for the car. I thought we might find out later on, and we never do, but I thought maybe the car was a gift from his wife, too. I mean, why wouldn't he sell that car? It's a nice car, but you can 
always buy a nice car. Yeah, his other car is like a Honda CRV or something, not something all flashy. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think by the end of that scene, it wasn't even about the car anymore. I think it was about the fact that Yusef felt overdone. John Wick got the best of him in that exchange, and he's usually out there, you know, waving his dick around and having people, you know, kneel at his feet, and it just didn't go down that time. So I think it became a an ego thing for him at this point. Well, maybe I just have a distrusting view of Russians. But when three Russians pull up in a car, a black car, smoking, with hoods up and leather jackets, and start saying how much for the car, I think there's mob things going on. I have no reason to think John Wick is tied to it, but I'm like, okay, these are Russian mobsters, and we're seeing him get entangled in something. Yeah, because I had read that two-sentence plot summary... I kind of figured out they were going to come back, and they do. They come back, they get the upper hand. Like, I guess we'll find out John Wick's been out of the game for like five years plus change. And so I guess he's not in quite the shape he's supposed to be. They're able to beat him up, and they kill the dog. Look, I don't want a graphic dog death scene, but like, they just kick that thing, and they, I wasn't sure if it was dead at first. No, they pick it up and slit its throat. Oh, okay. I did not catch that. It's a dark scene. They're doing this at night in the dark. They give us John Wick's POV, but at one point Yusuf says, shut that dog up, and we see one of the guys. Oh, I thought they just kicked it really hard. I thought they snapped his neck, but there was blood because when he wakes up the next morning, there's a trail of blood from the window to right in front of where John's going to wake up, where they propped the puppy right in front of his face. That right there is the heartstring tugger. I watched this movie without my wife, and I'm so glad I did, because whether or not I recommend this movie, like we said, dog deaths are really hard on some people. Marjorie is one of them. This would have turned her against the movie, period. And the director said they had to kind of fight with the studio to keep the dog death in it. All right, let's kind of talk this through. Is this a hokey plot device, though? He's going to go all out to avenge his dog? I mean, Jacob, you thought it was a joke. Yeah, no, I thought this was going to be a tongue-in-cheek action film. And there are moments where it is. Like, when that dog dies, we find out that John has laid his wife's, like, necklace down by his bed. And when that dog dies, he takes that collar and lays it right down next to that necklace. I'm like, that's funny. I don't think that's (laughs) supposed to be moving. I do think that's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. Like, I think there is supposed to be that kind of humor here. Again, a guy going on violent revenge because his dog is killed, to me, that is tongue-in-cheek and should be funny. Yeah, I mean, is it enough motivation to pull a guy back into this lifestyle? I don't know. Maybe it was the last straw. I mean, his wife had just died. This was her last gesture. They'll give some speech at the end, like what that dog means. I'm like, I get it. You don't need to give me that speech. I know that's, yeah, that was how he was remembering his wife. Yeah, I get it too. And like I said, if you came after my dog, I'd come after you too. In real life, I understand it. But in a movie... I'm both really sad that that really glorious puppy died in the movie, and yet I also think he's going to kill 69 humans in retribution for one dog. As a father, if that would have happened to one of my children, yes, that would have been the exact same motivation for me to go out and do something like this. I obviously wouldn't have been as good as John Wick, but it would have filled me with enough anger to do that. So maybe this movie just pulled it back a little bit. I mean, it could have very easily been 
they had a child. I think a lot of people do relate with this. Like, there's a lot of people with their comfort pets these days. And, like, those pets are their kids. So, I, I do think this does speak to our modern age. Like, going on bloody revenge for a dog. And I could go with that because, look, I love the Crank movies. And, like, Crank 2 is about a guy with no heart killing a bunch of people to get his heart back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am expecting the film to be on that level. And there are little things that tell me, like, they're trying to do that joke. But then... They also want to be, like, super gritty and grim. I love the scene when Vigo finds out what happens. You know, he stole John Wick's car, and all he does is say, oh. And then it's all intercut with John Wick, like, with that sledgehammer, like, just smashing the basement up so he could dig up his old guns and gold coins. Literally digging up his past. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Yosef's going to take that car to John Leguizamo's character, Aurelio, who runs a chop shop because he needs to get new VIN numbers and everything. I do love that Aurelio recognizes that car and he's like, where did you get that car? And he stands up to Yusef. Like, I do like those tense moments. It's telling me, yeah, this is a hard, gritty reality movie that we're going to see here. John Leguizamo is one of those actors who, I don't know what happened to his career to put him in these bit parts. He played the violator in Spawn with an evil clown. <laughs> and he was Luigi, so I guess it's a one-two punch, but I always like seeing him on screen. I actually wanted him to have a all right, that's not true, uh, Land of the Dead. But uh, Oh, I liked him in that. I like seeing him on screen. I wanted him to have a larger part here. I like what he does. He's literally got two scenes. He was on set for one day, but he really drives home that John Wick is serious, that he's going to stand up to this Russian mob kid, punch him, and then be like, your father's going to know why I punched you, and he's going to understand. It's selling me that John Wick is a badass. And that's what they got to do. We need to know without seeing that John's going to be, you know, what they call him the professional serious. Yeah, we see people's reactions. Like, we'll see Vigo go and beat up his son. And he's like, that's not, you know, that fucking nobody is John Wick. Yeah, and then they, you know, they drop lines about the boogeyman and killing three guys with a pencil. And yeah, they just drop all these lines. We don't see this, but we see the people's reaction that know who John Wick is. And I think this is very effective because we have yet to see John Wick do anything but bury his dog and his wife. He used that sledgehammer, man. That that was some hard work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. They've built up the idea of this guy so much that by the time we do get into the action, it feels like a bigger payoff. Yeah. It's telling us before we see in a convincing way that he's going to be a badass, which... All right, it's Keanu, and I made fun of his Keanu foo in The Matrix, but really, somehow, he's become, in my mind, the most unlikely action hero. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Nyquist, I've not seen this guy in other stuff. He's mostly acted in foreign films, the foreign girl with the dragon tattoo films. I guess we did see him in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, but... I don't know that I buy him as a decent foil for John. He never comes across as menacing. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of guys who work for him. But I don't know that he is all that effectual. It's not him. It's that he's the man. It's that he is the boss. He's at the top of that world. Yeah, we're going to find out at one point later on, like, he's got this vault. And it's not the money that he cares about in that vault. It's that he's got videotapes, blackmail for everyone in the city and that's how he controls it. No, he's not a he's not the kingpin from Daredevil, but he's a smart guy. Like he knows how to run the city through blackmail. He 
he's got the right people around him. That's why he's able to take out a $2 million hit on John and hires Marcus. Yeah, I wasn't sure which way that was going to go. I thought that Marcus and John's scene at the beginning, I felt like there was some tension there. And so I'm seeing this, I'm like, is Marcus going to take the job? Is Marcus going to betray John? He says he is. I'm like, well... Well, we don't even know what the relationship is, really. Right, I'm just trying to read into it from one scene, but... Again, he's Willem Dafoe, so he's obviously the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, that was my stance, too. It's like, Willem Dafoe, does he ever play a good guy these days? He rarely plays a good guy, I feel. like <laughs> He's such a great villain in, in foil, so I just assumed they were old rivals, and that's why he showed up at the funeral for John's wife. Maybe it is that, that I still am not entirely sure that him and John were friends. I like that Marcus asked, is this an exclusive contract? And I'm trying to still get that read. Is he looking at competition or what's he trying to do there? And while we're looking at these bad guys, there's also Avi there, played by Dean Winters. Mayhem. Yeah, from Oz. I really know him better as the dummy guy from 30 Rock. He played Liz Lemon's boyfriend for like five years. Oh, okay, yeah. On again, off again. He was great. He had the pager <laughs> in case he needed a call from 1996. <laughs> yeah, he's going he's gonna to deliver some of the comedy that this movie needs. You know, he's constantly asking Vigo, thank you, that was great in English, please. Yeah, is his point in this movie comic relief? I'm trying to figure out his relationship with Vigo. I'm trying to figure out why he's here. He's not all that funny, but he's certainly everywhere Vigo is. It's his lawyer, but he's not advising against doing illegal things. No, I felt like, <laughs> you know, they were doing the Godfather thing where they always had that lawyer around. And I don't know to what purpose, but yeah. Again, not everything here is working for me. I, I don't know. I could have done without the lawyer being there. That humor didn't work. I guess Vigo needed somebody to talk to, somebody to tell the story of the boogeyman killer, you know, and how badass John Wick was. And I love that story he tells about how John wanted out. And so he gave him an impossible task and bodies just rained down and he actually pulled off the impossible for his freedom from that. I guess I'm answering my own question, but in screenwriting, he needs somebody to talk to. It might have been more impactful if he was telling all this to Yusuf and Yusuf started to shit his pants about what he did instead of going off getting stoned playing video games and hanging out He's with such a spoiled brat. I never care about him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we could have had a character evolution in Yusuf if we combined Avi and Yusef's character together. But I guess Avi's just there to... Vigo has a friend. Vigo ends up sending 12 men at night again to kill John Wick. And watching the way Keanu is, is going about with that gun, like, I'm not a gun person, I but it looks very tactical. It looks like, yeah, these are stunt guys that probably have had to use firearms on sets and know how to hold them. It's not just, you know, John McClane running around shooting wildly. He is very tactical the, the way he goes about the action in this film. Exactly. You know, in some action movies, like you said, there's... You know, a guy waving a gun around and everything he does is a headshot. But here, I believe that Keanu is able to 
track and get a headshot on these people while evading. Everything is a headshot. He, I don't know if you've seen Zombieland, double tap. You always got to do that extra shot in the head. Like He makes sure, even if he'll shoot someone in the chest, he will go and shoot them in the head in this film. Like Again, during this home invasion, I think he shoots a guy in the leg through the wall and then comes around the wall and like shoots him in the head to make sure he's dead. Yeah, it's very tactical shooting in this film. One of the moves he does repeatedly that I absolutely love he grabs a guy and you think he's going to do some kung fu but he slams the head down and instead of proceeding to fight he then just shoots the guy with the gun 12 inches from the head and i'm like part of me is thinking are you sure that bullets are not going to ricochet back at you but on the other hand i'm like damn that is effective and i guess that's what they call gun fu i don't watch a whole lot of foreign kung fu films but this is like a john woo thing is to yeah john woo yeah use the guns in this kind of way and i'll agree i think this is the best action i've ever seen keanu do i buy him 100 percent i don't know if that's a high bar but yeah no i like this action i will say one thing on a technical level that kind of bothered me that i noticed and maybe i'm wrong maybe i was just seeing this in it but all the muzzle flashes seemed very cgi to me like i i know they don't want to do blanks like real blanks anymore because people have actually died on set because of that keep in mind stahelski was brandon lee's double after he was killed on the crow i know i i did read that so that yeah they probably I, i don't know the muzzle flashes and maybe because this film is so like literally the light is dark they're in clubs they're in homes at night it it just looks more artificial but every time i saw that muzzle flash i seemed something artificial to me where i wasn't quite buying into it well i think it goes kind of along with the cinematography they're going for here i don't we haven't mentioned it yet but the shots in this movie are staged and colored in such a way that it's telling an emotional story in and of itself i mean the beginning of this movie almost every shot is toned out in blue And as he's slowly coming back into the lifestyle, most of the shots are framed in a yellow. And then by the time he gets fully back into the game, we're getting flashes of red and green throughout these clubs and whatnot. So maybe the muzzle flashes were there as, you know, pops of light in this dark scene. Kind of going back to what you were saying about it being a graphic novel style. Yeah, I didn't notice those as being bad CGI They did not do much CGI in this film. They really, not even so much harness removal and things. They tried to get everything in the camera, but there was every so often a little CGI here and there. It's what you do in films today. But I didn't notice that. As for the camera work, I did think it was pretty good. The cinematographer was Jonathan Sela. You mentioned the color. He did the same kind of blues in Midnight Meat Train, I noticed, or the same kind of color tone stuff. He is also going to be doing later this year Transformers The Last Night, and he is the cinematographer on tap for Deadpool 2, so I wonder if we're going to see some more of this kind of palette. Interesting. Also, the directors wanted a graphic novel, and so by going very strong color, I think they've succeeded in that way. Definitely. It's a tricky thing to try, because it doesn't always work out, because it's, it is pretty bold, and you, you will notice it. But I think one of the best close-up fights and deaths in this entire film was the last kill, or what? close to the last kill. It was a guy where I think they both ran out of bullets or whatever, and the guy pulls a knife on him, and so they kind of kung fu each other down to the ground, and the guy's about ready to stab him, but somehow Keanu gets behind him and turns the knife on him, and he's trying to push it into his chest, but then he starts to just pound on his own fist like he was hammering the knife into the guy's chest. That was a fun scene. That was very intense, and 
I really, <laughs> I, I haven't seen anything like that before. I mean, the old knife turned on you trick is used a lot in movies, and I hadn't seen it done like this before. This let me know what kind of a movie we were in for, though. This type of fight that we have 20 minutes into the movie is the kind of fight a lot of action films have as their climax. So if they're starting here, it can only go up. I hope so. I don't know if it does, but that would be my hope, is that it gets even crazier. And I do think it does somewhat, again, when a cop's going to show up. <laughs> and again, just you're in this world. It feels like a very George Lucas early on when he was doing the original Star Wars. Like you have this used universe and you just figure out what's going on. Like this cop shows up and he's like, oh, you working again? No, just sorting stuff out. I, I like this. And then Keanu calls to make dinner reservations for 12. I knew that was a code for something. I absolutely had no question about it, but I didn't know what it was. And then the cleaning crew comes up. You guys seen that movie, Sunshine Cleaners? That's what this made me think of. <laughs> no. But I did recognize the head of the cleaning crew. I don't know if you recognized who it was, but we'll be talking a lot about him later with Now Peaking over at NowPeakingPodcast.com. David Patrick Kelly, Jerry Horn in Twin Peaks. Warriors, come out and play. Yes, also warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Coke bottles on my fingers right now. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, that scene was incredible. Literally like packing up bodies and scrubbing up blood. And John Wick pays him in those gold coins. Like this is Hitman currency. It does feel like an arcade game almost. You're Sonic. You got to collect those coins so you can pay off cleaning crews and, and other various mob bosses. I hadn't thought about the video game reference, but you're absolutely right on it. I hadn't just hadn't thought about it. I took this as just their type of, like you say, currency that you could do hits, you get gold coins and it we're going to see it's going to get you entrance into special things. At first, I just thought maybe he stole it. Maybe this was just a whole bunch of gold he stole and literally kept buried in case he ever needed the money. And I still wonder if it took a gold coin to get such a good dog. <laughs> <laughs> the gold as a currency wasn't really clear to me until I think the hotel when he was checking out or somebody was paid with one gold coin for doing a task. And then that's when it was really clear that those were kind of the hitman's currency throughout this world. I feel like once you get to the Continental, this hotel that he checks into, I guess you check into the hotel when you're going to do a hit or something. Well, he's researching and it's a safe space. No work can be done there. That is true. You're not allowed to do a hit at the hotel. That'll be one of the rules that they will say later on. And it's the Continental. Did you, I don't know if you guys watch SNL, but I was waiting for Christopher Walken. <laughs> In the smoking jacket. Yes. <laughs> But I love in a movie where, like, you take one thing and that's what the whole world revolves around. Like, again, I loved Speed Racer because for some reason, racing cars is the only thing that exists in that film for, like, entertainment or jobs. Or, like, the step-up movies. Everything is about dance. That is just one of those weird quirks that will get me into a film. And so I do like that about this film is that you have this whole seedy underbelly to the world that's all about hitmen. And everything you're going to see in this is just this weird secret society that you're, you're going to follow along in. Well, there's a lot of people here, and we said there can't be any business at the Continental. We're told that by Winston, Ian McShane, who's the owner of this hotel. They have an exchange that's kind of drawn out a little bit that, I again, I'm trying to get these reads. Everybody's a little bit cautious around John. Have you returned to the fold? Just visiting. 
one of my criticisms of this movie is going to be that there's one or two too many characters inserted into this movie. And it almost feels like, like you were saying, Arnie, maybe Avi shouldn't be here. It's like almost like Keanu grabbed some of his friends and say, hey, you want a cameo in this movie? And so they made a scene just for some of these people. None of them were horrible. I like Ian McShane, and I think he lends a little bit of gravitas here. But I'm not really sure that he was necessary. And I feel like they give things away real easily. Like, we're going to find out that Vigo has gotten someone to take that contract inside the Continental. He's doubled the reward. And come on, we all knew it was Miss Perkins, right? Adrian Pilecki. Now, I have been catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Adrian Pilecki is actually one of my favorite characters on there. She was actually so good, they looked at giving her a spinoff, and then the spinoff wasn't picked up, and she was off the show. So that was sad. But... The same year as this came out, she started on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She can do fights. I've been watching her in two years of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. do these fights. She is a good choice here as this assassin. I like her here with the brown hair and the confidence. I couldn't tell if she was like an old lover of John's, like before he met his wife. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they shacked up. It's this whole hitman underworld. Yeah, they've all been with each other, I think. (laughs) <laughs> it's a kinky place when you're a hitman <laughs> i mean they go to a speakeasy under the hotel yeah i mean they got a whole club there but i don't expect her to get into much action when they introduced her i thought she'd be more ally than enemy i know what you were saying about why is winston here but this bar scene where you've got the bartender addy and you got ms perkins this is what i'm loving is feeling like this is a comfortable world john's getting back into not all these characters need to have big payoff in order to just help this feel like a world where john wick isn't off on his own and you know, basically Max Payne. No, you're right. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, which I think is a strong point of this movie, is that it goes to the world-building aspect of it. And so far, I am along for the ride. Everything they've done has pulled me deeper in, and I'm I'm along. So, yeah, this scene is awesome. And I'm digging it. Like you said, it's a speakeasy. Like, this is a spot on the earth that... You gotta drop a gold coin in it to get in. Yeah! Normal humans are not getting in here, nor would they ever know about it. So it's truly an underground club in that sense. As for why it's here, it's from the bartender, Addy, that John finds out he needs to go to the Red Circle Club. That's where Yusuf's hanging out. You know, when you're on the run, what's the best thing to do? Get in a hot tub with models. Actually, that is actually good advice. Anytime is a good time to get in a hot tub with models. (laughs) I did get confused here because he's talking with Winston. We're at the Continental, and then we're told that Yusuf is in another place. And then we see Russians like, floor one, clear. Floor two, clear. I'm like, are they invading the Continental? Like, I didn't get right away that this was another club. I I thought the editing... It could have been done a little bit better to let me know what was going on. Yeah, that wasn't just me then, too. I thought they were in the same building, at least, yeah. Three for three. When you go into a basement (laughs) and you're at a speakeasy, and then all of a sudden there's a club, I'm like, wow, this Continental Hotel has all the amenities. (laughs) I loved how John got in there, though, with the doorman Francis, where, again, it's world building. He knows Francis. Francis knows him. He's like, instead of just shooting Francis in the head, Francis, why don't you take the night off? Yeah, I took it as Francis knows not to mess with Wick, so he just lets him in, even though he's going to be up to no good in the club. Yeah, it was probably a good decision on his part, you know, because John is on a mission, and Francis is going to stand in his way. Francis is going to take a bullet to the cranium. (laughs) 
as we're about to see. We haven't seen Revenge John yet. All we've seen is Self-Defense John. This is where the movie takes a turn into crazy action and even more blood splattery headshots. He misses out on Yusuf, but he does get Victor, whose character name I didn't even catch, really. But I just knew him as Yusuf's hanger-on. Yeah, I thought <laughs> Yusuf's gang should be more memorable. And I figured, oh, that Victor guy is probably someone that was at the gas station with Yusuf when they admire John's car. But I don't know his name until, like, John says, tells Yusuf that Victor's dead. Yeah, I didn't remember his name. I definitely recognized him, though. Like, I, I remembered him from the being the guy who leaned into the car and kind of diffused the situation at the gas station. But that was about it. And here we get a reunion also between Keanu and Agent Johnson from The Matrix. That guard there was the same actor. Is that one of the other agents that doesn't matter because it's not Smith? Yes, it was. Didn't recognize him. He was in The Matrix Reloaded and... Oh, even less important then. <laughs> but those two have another fight there. Also, it was during this scene that I really paid attention to the music. Because whenever you have a club scene, I'm going to be listening for what the music is. They have Tyler Bates doing the score. He did the Halloween score. He did Guardians of the Galaxy, Watchmen. I think he really brought some amazing music to this. The club scene, but also just throughout the moody kind of techno feel i really liked yeah i thought it was appropriate again it didn't win me over but i felt it was appropriate for this movie like it was the right choice to do this yeah kind of heavy techno some guitars in there yeah it was the right thing to do yeah that's kind of where i'm sitting on it as well i didn't love the score but it didn't distract me either and it felt appropriate so it wasn't going to pull me out. There's one song in here. It's Marilyn Manson, and it was so perfect for this movie. I'm using it as the opening credits. The, we're killing strangers so we don't kill the ones that we love. Yes, I did notice that. Yeah, P putting a fine point on it. What's funny, Jacob, that song was not written for this movie. They were like just talking to Tyler Bates and Tyler Bates knew Marilyn Manson and that album wasn't even out yet. He's like, hey, I wrote this song. And they're like, please, please, can we have it? It is so perfect for our movie. I don't know. I've never adrenalized by this action. Again, it feels so tactical to me the way Keanu is holding the gun and how he's so precise in shooting. I do feel like it never really lets loose to just be crazy action like I expected it to be. Well, I think what you're saying, Jacob, is you, you mentioned Neville Dean Taylor and you mentioned Crank, and I think that's what you're wanting this to be. I'm, I'm thinking Crank, I'm thinking Shoot em Up, I'm thinking Red, well, I'll say Red 2. Again, a lot of films where they're tongue-in-cheek action films, yeah. I was expecting more of that. I get that's what you're expecting, but I like what this is giving me. It's not showing me crazy, everything's coming from every angle, and it's just chaotic. This is showing me a professional going up against other professionals. I mean, he hesitates for a moment when he sees Yusuf and he gets attacked from behind by one of those security guards. He makes a mistake and they're all going to fight each other in a very tactical way going through this club. The chaos is coming from the club. The fact that they're going through multiple levels of a crowded club and it's not like your average movie where gunshots happen and everybody starts screaming and then it's just them in the club. This is going to be a populated area that Yusuf's going to use these people as an escape plan. Yeah, and when I talk about action, I hesitate to use the word real because this is, you know, kind of 
hyper-realistic, but I'm enjoying that it's a little more grounded in reality as opposed to just some of those other action movies where guys will just come out guns flinging and shooting people in the knees and they're down or you punch somebody in the face and they're down you don't have to worry about them anymore every person that john wick goes for he makes sure it's a kill shot yeah exactly it feels surgical to me it's sterile almost because he is so precise if i was younger i'd probably really be into this but i like at this point i've seen so many action films i want to see something a bit crazier i've seen this before and i think this kind of comes down to a question of style we discussed john woo way back when we did mission impossible 2 and you've i think had a very similar feeling there didn't you well i'm not gonna hold mission impossible 2 against john woo but yeah, I just feel like I've seen this before, and I do want something new. I, because, yeah, I'm getting older, and I've been watching action films since the 80s. So To me, this is new. This use of guns in the middle of martial arts was new. And I was entertained, and I was constantly wondering what was going to happen next. I like that there's escalation and variety. It would be so boring if this was John McClane and he just went to a club and shot a whole bunch of people and it was headshot, headshot, headshot. Here, he's smashing them around. He's like got to hold one down while he shoots the other and then go back and shoot the first guy in the eyeball. This is fun for me. For me, it's not fun. I'm admiring it on a technical level, but I'm not getting emotionally invested in it. And that, that's the problem for me. Hmm. I guess the only emotion I'm feeling at this point is that they have, properly sold me on the revenge motivation and we are now finally getting tossed into that direction with John going after Yusef. So this is the first time that we're going to see him do what it takes to get to Yosef. That to me is enough of a springboard to hold my attention and to be honest with you I don't really go in for kung fu stuff like I I might be the odd man out here but I really did not enjoy the Matrix at all like that to me was just too much wire foo and what? Oh man. Too much bullet time crap. It invented it, though. It was like, you hadn't seen that before. Well, a car commercial invented it, but... But I was bored with it halfway through that movie. I was just like, okay, whatever. So, just like already said, maybe a different style and taste on something like this, you know? Yeah, and that is one thing with an action film. There are so many different styles you could go. Even with the Kung Fu, you could have, you know, traditional martial arts. You could have wire food. You could have where they use, like, CGI to do crazy flips and stuff, and people have their preferences. So, yeah, there is going to, I think, be a matter of preference here for what kind of action you like. I've seen this. I've, you know, I've seen the old good John Woo stuff, not Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> and so I can appreciate this on a technical level. I'm not emotionally invested. The stuff that I am enjoying is, like, when John returns to, the Continental and ask if the doctor's in and ask how their laundry is and no one's that good because he's got this like total bloodstained <laughs> shirt like it is the world they've created that I'm enjoying more in this film and the doctor here another Matrix reunion that's Randall Duck Kim he was the key maker oh okay uh -huh. he's been in a lot of movies yeah yeah Vigo put out an extra $2 million to anyone willing to break the Continental's rules. And we're going to find out that's not $2 million I'd accept. <laughs> yeah, but this is also where they, at least for me, they gave away what Marcus was up to. I guess they could have done a twist at the end. But, you know, Marcus is across the street. He's got his sniper rifle. He's looking through that scope. John's laying in bed because he's been shot or cut up i can't remember which but he's gotten some staples and he's trying to heal up and yeah you think marcus is going to shoot him but then you see someone entering the room and he shoots 
right next to John, hits that pillow, so John jumps up. And to me, that told me, oh, Marcus is like, he's the guardian angel looking out for him. It's when I questioned, but I did wonder. I mean, if you're a really good assassin, do you miss? Do you miss like that? And then... The way that when Perkins comes in, Marcus has a bead. Is he trying to shoot John? Is he trying to shoot Perkins? I wondered, but I wasn't convinced yet. Yeah, me too. I, I'm still not 100% sure what Marcus is doing. Because if he is literally there to protect and watch out for John, I'm not sure why he's doing it with a sniper rifle. I wasn't sure if he missed his shot because he was distracted for a second because there was somebody else in the room. Like, none of that is absolutely clear. I mean, it doesn't make sense if you want to wake somebody up to shoot an inch from their head. You shoot the lamp next to the bed (laughs) or something. Right. And I wasn't even clear that he took that shot. I thought maybe she had shot at him from behind. I don't know why you just don't shoot Perkins as she's sneaking up, but I guess that's because you want to have a fist fight. And look, I I like that, and I feel like you could do this now in modern films because, you know, gender equality and all that. Like, you could have Keanu Reeves, like, straight up punch a woman in the face. She is an assassin. She is a hitman, so she could take it. But I like that they don't pull their punches here, literally. It all goes back to that scene in Deadpool. Is it sexist to hit you? Is it sexist to not hit you? What do I do? It's (laughs) also confusing. (laughs) I think that every time there's a fight between a man and a woman, it's like, don't hit women, but she's a badass. So if it was a man, you'd hit it. So what do you do? I mean, they've they've killed the dog in the movie, so you could hit a woman too, I guess. I mean, yeah, she's certainly capable. What he doesn't do, though, he doesn't kill her. He kills everybody. But he doesn't kill her. Yeah, talk about extraneous characters. Like, Harry, again, they keep doing this joke. Like, someone will pop out, oh, it's you, John, are you back? No, just visiting. And, yeah, you get this character, Harry, who's, like, in the room next door. And John's like, you want a gold coin? Keep an eye on Perkins. Again, it's a character, and he gets taken out so quickly, so easily. I don't even know why you have this here. It seems like you could have done this better. I think it just shows that she is a badass, because up to this point, she hasn't done anything. She failed at the one thing she did try to do. So it does establish her as a badass and a good assassin to some degree. It would have been nice if that character, Harry, was an actor we knew, perhaps, or something. Because as it is, it is like, who are you? Why are you here? Okay, you get a gold coin. The only thing we get out of him is he didn't want to kill Perkins. He's like, is it catch and release? So we get a little bit more of the lingo, a little bit more of John knows everybody in this world, but he's a people person for an assassin. Yeah, but Perkins does get out. I knew she's going to slip those handcuffs off. Ooh, though, there was a piece of CGI, but it disturbed me. The dislocation of the thumb? Oh, was was that a CGI dislocation? I actually thought she was moving it. Maybe she's double-jointed or something. No, that was a CGI dislocation, but I didn't know that when I was watching it. I was squirming. I don't like dislocated joints. Yeah. And I'm not even sure she needed to do that, to be honest with you. The way he had her cuffed to that chair, she could have just, like, stood up. They looked loose. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she makes quick work out of, was it Harry? Is Harry, his name? yes. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't matter. She... Just like Victor. <laughs> But John's going to church because that's where Vigo's real loot is. Yeah, that's where Perkins lives. She gave up what information she had. She didn't know where Yusuf was. She didn't know where Vigo was, but she knew where Vigo's secret bank was. And John's going to go all Joker here. I knew it as soon as I saw the money piled in a heap. I did like when he walks in that church, he just takes out everyone and then shoots the priest who's covered in tattoos in the knee. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there was one patron in that church that I was a little suspicious of. Yeah, there was a. It was a woman. Yeah. Yeah, with the babushka on her head or whatever. Yes. I was like, oh, watch out for her, but she's not moving. <laughs> she's she's gonna be bad news, but nothing came of it. Yeah, no, we're in this mindset though. Everybody's in it. That's the fun. We think is she an assassin? The woman in the babushka. <laughs> Yeah, but no, John takes everybody out in the church and then he leaves the priest alive but maimed and drags him down to the vault where they're keeping the money and all the blackmail we come to find out. I love the two office workers there. How do you apply for that job? They're definitely business formal dress. So how do you dress up in the morning in like your suit and say, I'm going to work banking in the church? (laughs) Just what if they get fired? What do you put on your resume? That's what I'm wondering. There's a big gap here. I I guess in that kind of job, you die when you get fired. (laughs) They no, I mean, they're out of work at the end of this movie, but they live. John let them go. I don't know why. He just, he doesn't kill women as much as men. They were two women. If there were two guys down there with the money, they'd both be killed with headshots. But he leaves the priest alive, and I'm like, the priest didn't want to give him the combination, knowing that Vigo would kill him, and sure enough, Vigo makes a good on that promise. That priest is dead one way or another, but the way he went out, John burns all the money. And we'll see Vigo take out that priest. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Vigo takes him out with a headshot in broad daylight right in front of the church. Which, of course, leads to John now having a automatic machine gun of some sort and decides to ground attack these men right there on the scene. So he comes out firing and he takes out... At first, he takes out one guy with just a single one-bullet headshot and then it's just kind of bullets flying everywhere. This, this to me, this scene got a little bit out of control as far as the tactical aspect of the action I had been enjoying. This one got a little bit loose and from the hip. See, I, th- I thought it still felt tactical. Uh, he was hiding behind the cars, and then he'd poke out and shoot and then go back. Again, it wasn't just run out into hellfire like a crazy man shooting everyone and not getting hit. See, it felt a little Gears of War to me with the cover and the machine gun and the way he came out. <laughs> Don't we see that video game getting played later? There is a video game getting played, and the player's name is Neo in it, I noticed. But <laughs> <laughs> this is the one... Big complaints I have with this movie right here. You say that it's not quite as tactical. John screws up. John gets knocked out. He is taken. Uh, Admittedly, it takes getting hit by a car to get him. Yes. An SUV (laughs) crashing into another SUV crashing into John. But Vigo is standing above him with two enforcers. Why don't they just put his bullets on the pavement? Why do they go through the James Bondian thing of we're going to take you inside, we're going to tie you to a chair, there's going to be yellow lights, and then I'm going to leave before you're killed? Why not just kill him? I hate to be all Seth Green from Austin Powers, but shit. Yeah, no, it seems like it should be that kind of film where there are no evil monologues. You just shoot the guy and move on. Like, they do betray that here. And then John doesn't even save himself. Marcus shows up again. Exactly. That's that's the biggest problem I have with this, this entire premise of this scene is that if we're to believe that John Wick is this biggest, baddest boogeyman ever, this undermines that in such a major way. They put him in an un escapable situation and he has to be saved by a person that we weren't sure up until this point was on his side or not and it just to me it doesn't do anything for the movie or for the world building or for the character yeah it's a misstep in the script i'll agree marcus 
has just been floating out there. And honestly, if it wasn't Willem Dafoe, I don't know how much attention I would have paid. But it is Willem Dafoe, so that's good casting. But that John doesn't get himself out, that John knows Marcus is out there, because John gives this speech about how he's going to get out and kill Vigo, and Vigo's like, yeah, and I'm like, I want to see how this happens, and again, why isn't somebody just shooting him? It's the one moment of this film, and this is a film filled with impossibilities, where it's a little de sesc machina. Yeah, because we'll see John's going to catch up with Vigo and convince him to give up his son's whereabouts. And we'll see when John goes to get Yusef. Like, again, it's it's back into that John, the boogeyman that we've heard about, where, you know, he did this impossible thing and the body stacked as he's taking out this safe house and just taking everyone out, blowing up the cars. And he doesn't make the same mistake Vigo made. He just takes Yusef out, like two shots, one in the chest, one in the head. Yeah, mid-sentence, too. That was pretty harsh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many times has he heard it's just a dog? I mean, I'm tired of hearing it, too. Kill the fucker. It's not just a dog. It's John Wick's dog from his dead wife. And there are so many people go, I, this is so much fun. I mean, Vigo gives it up. He's like, it's guarded. They're expecting you. John says, it won't matter. He sets people on fire. People are falling off roofs. This is like a Friday the 13th movie where you're rooting for Jason. He is unstoppable killing machine. So it's like Jason X? Yeah. Or is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) But this scene also just kind of highlights the misstep of the previous scene we were just talking about. Where if if John Wick's going to get captured... I would almost like it to be because he miscalculated something rather than just happened to get hit by a vehicle and or something like that. You know, like, it would have been neat for maybe in this scene. Well, this scene has to end with him killing Yusuf. But I would have liked to have seen John Wick miscalculating the number of people that he had to take out. Like, there was somebody in the bathroom at the time when he started and wasn't aware of that person. Rather than just, oh, this car came around and I wasn't able to get out of the way. Yeah, I agree. There should have been something else there. But it's the one misstep plot-wise. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot of plot here. It's a revenge shoot-em-up. So there's not a whole lot of plot holes to poke. No, I mean, it's it's very straightforward. I mean, Yusuf gets killed. That's not the end of the story, though. We're going to keep talking about it because then Vigo goes after Marcus. He finds out that Marcus was working or at least helping. I don't think John knew Marcus was helping him out. Oh, John had to know, right? I mean, well, no, at the Continental when he shot that bullet next to his head, I don't think he realized that was Marcus. I think he did. I think he knew Marcus was outside when he was giving that speech to Vigo. Otherwise, how would he think he's getting out? He's counting on Marcus to save his ass. Yeah, maybe at that point they were work- he knew John was working with him. But Marcus is going to pay. Like I did not expect this. Like Willem Dafoe, he's not going to be in chapter 2. Yeah, I expected him that he would be. You know, I I kind of his small role here, I was thinking a little bit about Boondock Saints if you guys have seen that one. Yes. And- oh, yeah, that's a great movie. That's a very different role he plays in that movie, though. But in both cases, he's kind of this, yeah, very different, but a a little bit of a strange enforcer. Here, he's like juicing vegetable juice, and I thought that, yeah, we might get him back in the sequel or something. So when he goes out so violently, I'm like, okay, well, that's where we're at with this, and now... You've killed. It's like tug speed in his back. You killed John Wick's best friend. <laughs> yeah, this should have almost been the the setup to part two. It's like John Wick's out. His story's over. But no, they they have to go after Marcus, and so 
John turns around in the car that the hotel gave him for some reason or another for the inconvenience of trying to be killed. Yeah, for the rules being broken, you get a brand new car. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 see, that. that is the stuff I love in this movie. And we'll see what happens to Perkins for violating the rules. Like, she's gets surrounded by a bunch of dudes, and Winston's there. Again, I didn't even remember that was Winston. I'm like, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, we had seen him earlier. Like, I <laughs> had to look him up again to realize it was... I believe he owns the Continental, right? That's what I got out of it. And he says, we're here to assess the penalty. And I'm like, okay, so she has to pay millions or she's going to get a beating. When all four guys simultaneously shoot her in the head, I'm like, that was not worth $2 million. Because (laughs) even if she succeeded, they're still going to come after her. (laughs) (laughs) While that scene was cool looking and set up well, for a movie that we've been talking about how tactically correct a lot of this was that was the worst way to go about that because yes she's surrounded but now you're all in each other's crossfire (laughs) yeah Yeah, i did think about that (laughs) oops i missed sorry bob i shot you (laughs) so i want to make sure i understand this and again it's not a deep plot so the fact that i'm missing something is a bad (laughs) sign but so vigo was lying when he said he'd pull off the contract he was killing marcus to bring out John so that Perkins would kill John, right? No, he hired anyone could t- pick up that contract. It was not an exclusive. But after Yusuf died, I think Vigo became far more specific. Before, he had just put out $2 million on whoever. But I think he was colluding with Perkins to make Perkins wait outside Marcus's house, right? I don't think he was doing it to pull back John. I think he was just pissed off at Marcus for playing him. See, that's what I can't tell. Well, I, I think he says it. He's upset because because Marcus is like, what does it matter? You pulled the contract. But he said, I hadn't pulled it when you played me. So that's what he's upset about is that while the contract was active, Marcus still wasn't going to live up to its terms. But did he want to kill John at that point or does he only want to kill Marcus? That's what I can't tell. Well, just Marcus, because if he, the point was to kill John, when did they all stuck around and ambushed him knowing that he would return? That's what I thought Perkins was there to do. How does Perkins leave again? Because she she's dead by the time John gets back there, right? Right, but she's hanging out, I thought, waiting for him. No, I thought she was fleeing, and then she ran into Winston's men. Okay, I thought she was on the hunt. This, this is a little confusing, then. She got a call to go somewhere. Yeah, I thought to go to Marcus's to wait for John. No, she went to wherever that crazy room with the pillars were. Okay, so they needlessly inserted Perkins' ambush in the middle of Vigo and John and Marcus, thus making me think they're related, when in fact it's like, in case you cared about Perkins, here's what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, it's just loose ends at this point. It's like that bad cut between the Continental and the other club, the Russian club. Okay, so... (laughs) Yeah. Let's hope they tighten it up before Deadpool 2 here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Vigo, I don't think he wants to stick around and kill John, because he's taking off. He's getting in a helicopter, and Winston calls John up to tell him, hey... Vigo is going to this helicopter if you want to get him. Yeah, but because of the rules, I can't tell you that a certain helicopter is being fueled on a certain (laughs) pad. And this end chase, this whole movie is filmed in New York, and you could certainly feel it. And I love this area they find where the skyline's off in the distance, and yet it's a dockyard where you can have a car chase and a fist fight. And So technically, they're in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. In and around New York, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, this car chase is fun, and they did one thing that I'll give them props for. They restrained themselves from having a car blow up after falling yes. 20 or 30 <laughs> feet downhill. I was like, that's great. It just it felt like a realistic crash. Yeah, and my favorite kill shot is during this scene. Like, at one point, John, like... He, he's taking people out with his car and he like drives and hits someone and they're rolling over the top of it and he just holds his gun up towards the roof and shoots the guy as he's rolling over the top <laughs> of it. I love that over the top crazy kind of stuff. That was fun. This whole scene was kind of fun and I think it was just about the right length. Any longer and I think it might have started to play out a little bit, but I felt like the whole idea was he had to obviously take out all these henchmen, leaving just Vigo and Avi as the last. I mean, I, I love Avi. He, he's, again, we think he's a lawyer. Do they say he's a lawyer? That's how I took him. He, but yeah, he wants a gun. Vigo gives him a gun, so now he thinks he's a badass that's going to take out John Wick. And no, that doesn't go well for him. Yeah, he could have escaped, right? If he'd just been your usual lawyer type and just run for it. I don't think John was interested in him, even though Avi was driving the car and trying to escape, but he turns and takes a pot shot at John Wick, and then he's like all giddy, even though he missed. I'm like, dude, you just fucked yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't take it as him trying to be a badass. I think he just basically knew the minute he got out of that car, he was a dead man, so he was going to at least give it a shot. He seemed very excited when he got that gun. Yeah, he did. He was like, he's been hanging around these assassins so long, he got delusions of grandeur. Finally gets to play, I guess. But yep, then we're left with just John and Vigo, which to me feels like a little bit of an anticlimax because Vigo really had nothing against John and their beef has already been squashed. But we're going to have a fight anyway. <laughs> well, it just seems like a mismatch to me. Like, the fact that Vigo does put up such a fight is a surprise. The The fact that John has to do this weird thing where he pulls Vigo's arm. Vigo has a knife, pulls his arm into him, stabbing himself so he could break the arm and take the knife from him. Like, that's a cool tactical move. I don't think you have to do that against Vigo, though. Yeah, and this fight apparently went on a lot longer. and It felt long, just the way it's cut here. The actor playing Vigo trained a lot to be able to do these fights. They wanted Vigo and John to kind of be evenly matched and have this real toe-to-toe fight. And then they realized there's absolutely no way that a mob boss who sat back this whole time should be able to stand up to the super assassin. And so they just cut it down to what it was. I think it works. It didn't go on too long. And the last line that Vigo says before he dies was, good seeing you. You know, so it kind of kept it light and within that underworld code again. So I, I, I like the way that it ended there. But that brings us back to the start. We see Keanu crash that car and get out all bloody. Now we know what he stabbed himself, basically. That's how he got injured. <laughs> and he's going to staple himself as well. Wow. Yeah, I think I think those staples did tear. Like the doctor said, oh, if you move around, those aren't going to hold. So his belly is probably wide open again. Yeah. And here he finds another dog and... Is this a message you should always rescue? Because he has a rescue pet. I guess he's in a kill shelter. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like a weird warehouse dock area. So I'm not sure why there's a vet or a dog shelter there. Yeah, that seems like a weird place. <laughs> as unlikely as getting a dog delivered to you from your dead wife. <laughs> and I'm not positive the pit bull was going to be put down, but there were red stickers on his chart that they weren't on any of the other charts. So I kind of felt like he was scheduled for termination and John has a new best friend. Don't you feel a little betrayed, though, that he picked a badass dog? Like, why didn't he get another cute puppy? Like, I did feel like he should have got a cute dog. Yeah, I was hoping for another beagle or something. 
Yeah, that might have been a little too on the nose. I was, little part of me is hoping that they would have got a an identical beagle, but <laughs> that would have been a little too cutesy of an end. Yeah, maybe a chihuahua. Good French bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> That's going too far. <laughs> so, Justin, Jacob, do you recommend John Wick? Justin. I'm not one that goes out of my way to see a shoot 'em up action film. And like we talked earlier, this one kind of escaped my conscience anyway, just because of the name itself. I mean, if there's one huge ding I'm going to give this movie, it's that it was named so stupidly and blandly. But, you know, at the end of the day, did I sit down and enjoy watching this movie? Yeah, it was it was a fun watch. And we picked a few of the plot holes apart here. I was never bored. There was a few scenes that maybe went on a little long. And when you go into a movie with Keanu Reeves like this, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. It could be really stilted acting that really pulls you out of it. Isn't that what he did here? I, <laughs> I think he does just enough to get above that bar for me here. Like it wasn't, it wasn't so bad that I was laughing at his delivery. Rather, I was watching his action scenes and going along with it. But yeah, it, it's a risky business casting Keanu in a role like this. But like I already said, this was originally conceived as a movie for an older actor. And I don't know if it would have had the same kind of panache and fun to it if it would have been somebody like a Bruce Willis or somebody in that age group. So I guess I'm glad it was Keanu. And Keanu was 49 when this was filmed. He's not exactly young. He's just our generation, though. So we, yeah, we don't feel like, we don't want to say he's old. <laughs> he did stop aging around his mid-30s, though. He looks pretty good for being almost 50. He entered the Matrix and he hasn't aged since. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed watching this movie. I enjoyed the cinematography. It was a very pretty movie to look at. The score was a little underwhelming for me, but serviceable. I guess the bigger question is, is did I finish watching this movie and think, oh, I hope there's a sequel? And I guess we'll answer that next week. But for right now, I'm not, I'm not seeing any loose ends or anything that would make me want a sequel at this point. They're going to kill the dog again. <laughs> so for John Wick... The first one, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it a green arrow. It's a fun watch. Jacob. Yeah, I, I think the key with Keanu is you got to give him the right film. He's kind of like a Nicolas Cage. Like, you don't give Nicolas Cage a film made for him, you're going to get crazy Nicolas Cage. And Keanu, you got to give him, don't make him do a British accent. That's just going to go bad. Give him a film where he doesn't speak a lot. He doesn't speak a lot here. He looks badass. He looks sweaty and bloody. And that works for him. He, he's able to deliver his lines menacingly. So, yeah, I think Keanu works well here. He always seems kind of one of those actors, again, that's moved kind of in that pariah category where you don't know what you're going to get. But he works in this very, I, I agree, blandly named film, John Wick, as John Wick. As far as the action goes, I, you know, so many times you talk about comedies being subjective. I, I didn't realize till watching this that I guess action can be subjective, too. And some people might really get into this. I found it kind of bland and was underwhelmed by the action. And I think that's because I was so in love with the world they created, this whole hitman underbelly of society i really liked that stuff i liked the humor when it did have it you know again putting that tongue-in-cheek that dog collar next to the wife's necklace and uh, the desk clerk you know saying oh our laundry's not good enough for that bloody shirt like i like that stuff so much that the action i'm like okay let's let's get through the scene it didn't seem there was like a whole lot of variety to watching all the headshots that keanu was doling out th throughout this movie so to me, I watched this and 
Yeah, it's fine. It, I'm surprised it was such a big hit that it what quadrupled its money and it's getting a sequel. That is kind of a surprise to me because I think it's kind of a mediocre film. But, you know, if you like action films, yeah, this looks good. There's some good humor here. You'll probably like this. I'll give this a mild recommend. You had me in suspense because coming into this show, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this movie is fun. It's affable. It, it's thin, okay? The plot is thin. <laughs> I, I was kind of taken back a little bit to those transporter films we were doing. Remember those? This <laughs> has a similar thing. The assassin, the car, the network of killers. And so... I didn't realize when we put this on the schedule that I was going to be dealing with a movie that was going to be all a ballet of violence and not really very story-driven. But when I watched it, I was happily surprised by it because I think this level of emoting required is right up Keanu's alley. You try to get him into too deep drama, well, I think that's not his strength. And I liked him in it, which was a surprise. I thought the action was fun. I thought the Russian mobsters were stereotypical enough. I thought the cast had enough names of, wow, they got that person too. That I couldn't imagine it not getting three recommends. It's just, it's not going to strong recommend from me. It does have a couple story problems, but it's a fun little time. And then, Jacob, you put me in suspense this whole show. I'm like, is he not going to recommend it? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad it got three green arrows. I mean, there is another one. It opens this Thursday in theaters, and we're going to be seeing it. Our review will be out next week. And do I feel there needs to be another John Wick movie? No, but I think the trailers for this one look pretty good. Eva Longoria does, because she made a ton of money on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one has Larry Fishburne in it, though, so... Yeah, no, you know what? I did watch the trailer for this one after watching the movie, and again, I like the humor in the trailer. I, I hope it can maintain that kind of tone. I I hope it is what I wish this one was. I'm just looking forward to Neo versus Morpheus again. (laughs) Ah, boy. (laughs) And a reminder for our listeners, we are still opening the vault. John Wick's not the only thing coming out this Friday. Also, from our old donation series, Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park will be available on our Podbean page. There's links from our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Last Friday, we put up a bunch of shows, Lord of the Rings, all nine reviews, and Leprechaun, all six reviews. (laughs) Those are painful. (laughs) (laughs) Bad memories. Get Leprechaun into Hood. If if you can only afford one, get into Hood. That was a fun time. There's one Leprechaun review by now playing you here this year. Make it Leprechaun into Hood. So we will be back next week with John Wick Chapter 2, despite the fact, Jacob, it's not based on a book. I know, they're so confusing. (laughs) But for now, no more guns, no more bullets. No more guns, John. No more bullets. No more bullets. Just you and me, John. You and me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Well played, old friend. For more movie review podcasts, visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews, including Die Hard, the Jason Bourne series, Constantine, 
Kingsman, Machete, the Marvel Comics movies, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. You got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond. You may well find something reaches out and drags you back into its depths. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, The Quentin Tarantino Films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. Let's go to the vault. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. You have no idea what's coming. We want to specially thank our Podbean donors of $50 or more, Sean Addison 95 and Mogrim 24. You know the rules. If you don't do this, you know the consequences. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums where you and other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The link to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. Whoever comes, I'll kill them. Kill them all. Of course you will. You can also follow Now Playing on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests where you can win movies and soundtracks. Tell me, Mr. Wick, is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'll try and do the same. Now Playing's John Wick series is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. Now Playing's John Wick series credit narration by Brock. Shall I announce you? Yes, please. The John Wick films and all the audio and music used in this show are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Your descent into hell begins here, Mr. Wick. Do be careful on your way down. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. What do you say? Enough. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You done, Diego? We're done. He... Hold on, dog fight. <laughs> Airplanes are actual dogs. <laughs> actual dogs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about Stuart always had plane noise. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It could be the Russians and, and America. Who knows now, these days? Okay. <laughs> Constantine. Remember when we reviewed that and we discussed how great it was that Constantine had all those... Yes, I used both pronunciations back to back. 
<laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, this Daisy the Bugle. I didn't know what kind Beagle, of dog it was. Not Bugle. Oh, Beagle. Bugle. <laughs> this... Think of the Daily Bugle or something. <laughs> this Daisy the that he's going to stand up to this mush mushin that he's going to stand up to this <laughs> so justin jacob jacob you don't get to go first oh man <laughs> so justin <laughs> jacob i'm just looking forward to neo versus morbius again oh boy <laughs> did you see did you say morbius neo versus morpheus again he is uh, i mean i don't know maybe he's lost weight he did get pretty morbidly obese <laughs> later matrix film is it morbius the living vampire from marvel yeah, yeah. There, there is that too <laughs>